Coming soon to SJP World Media. Believe it, Nigel! No one can! has been brought to you by SJP World Media. You people, What's with him? you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. Live on WCW Monday Nitro, where the big boys play every Monday night at 8 on TNT. Hello and welcome to Nitro Nights, a WCW look back podcast brought to you proudly by the SJP World Media Network. My name is Sai. And joining me, as always, is the quite excitable wrestling encyclopedia, Scottish Danny, this week. Because we're going to cover a match in a moment. He's just told me he has got pages and pages of notes on. Danny, how are we doing, my friend? 
Really well, sir. Um, how's yourself? Yeah, good, mate. Good. Very good. Feeling a little bit better after the sniffles of last week. So, yeah, not too bad at all. Not too bad at all. Um, the Nitro we are looking at this week, as you know, people probably will predict by the way that it's the title of the episode and the fact that we go in date order. <laughs> the Nitro we're looking at was broadcast on February the 5th in 1996. It is the go-home show for Super Brawl of that year. And the TV ratings show another win for Nitro with their 2.9 for the evening compared to Monday Night Raw's 2.7. So again, very similar numbers to last week. So we're not yeah. attracting new eyes yet, but it does seem that we're holding on to the audience that we have. So that's a good thing, Danny. Yeah, absolutely. They're not going back. They're just going forward. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Uh, we get told early on as the show normally starts with our commentators sort of debriefing us or, or briefing us, sorry, as to what's coming up. We get told that we're, you know, Super Bowl is around the corner and they sort of touch upon a few things there, but we get to our opener very quickly, which is Chris Benoit versus our world champion, macho man, Randy Savage. And I'm a big Benoit fan of his, of his wrestling. I want to state, because also we all know how Benoit's life ended. I don't want to dive into that. It, it, it feels like every time I bring up Benoit on a podcast or every time I talk about a Benoit match, you almost have to give this kind of little um, little little marker next to it and go, yeah, but I know the guy was, was vile at the end of his life and, and so on. I appreciate all that. So I'm not going to dive into that now. The wrestler at Benoit, I can appreciate the, the art he put forward. And I'm a big fan of Randy Savage as well. Obviously, as m- anyone who listens to this podcast knows, uh, I wasn't aware that these two had had any matches. Never mind, you know, well, basically two in a week, we're getting told, because there's a rematch on Saturday night after this. I wasn't aware at all until you posted about it, because you'd watched this episode of Nitro, you know, a day or two before I had, ready for the recording, hadn't you, Danny? Yeah, apologies for that. So. <laughs> no, no, it was no, no, no. Well, there, was, there was no spoilers, mate. I was happy. Don't worry about that. <laughs> no, yeah, this... Um... This is definitely my favourite match that we've got we've um, seen uh, on these lookbacks on uh, on WSW. and this I mean this was great as well. Like you, I didn't know this match happened either until this is beauty about doing this podcast with you guys. We get to see these rare gems. I mean, I thought this would have been put on a Chris Benoit DVD or something like that that was released or something. This was Benoit's first World Championship match. Was it really? Yes, I have to look it up. And uh, well, in terms of uh, American wrestling, this was his first world title match, and what a match! What an opponent to have it with, Macho Man. And this, um, to me, this was a star-making match where Macho Man worked incredibly hard to get Chris Benoit over. We saw a lot. We saw um, Benoit miss a horrible suicide dive, um, oh, and yeah. it land straight on his face. This. Uh, I, I did not. That's the only thing I didn't like about this match, but there was a lot of um, Chris Benoit dominating as well, which I did not expect. And overall, really, really enjoyed this match. Yeah, me too. Me too. I mean, before we speak about a couple of the moments in it, I do just want to, you know, ask you a question. You said you had to look up the fact about this is Benoit's first title match. Yes. So it didn't just come out of that big wrestling brain of yours. 
<laughs> no, I used Pro um, IFDB, whatever the um, yeah the the uh, website is. I used that to see did Chris Benoit wrestle for a world championship beforehand, and no, this was his first, and very surprising all round. Well, yeah, oh, that does surprise me. I'm more surprised that you had to look something up and didn't just know it. Then, then it's Benoit's <laughs> first world title match. You know, I, I call you the encyclopedia for a reason. But there we go. I suppose that's how you soak up your knowledge. So that's that's a fact. I guarantee you will never forget now. <laughs> no, absolutely not. I've, I've gone back and watched this match twice, and um, yeah, it was all around brilliant. Yeah, I mean, Savage comes out with Woman and Elizabeth, and then the first note I've got once the bell actually rings is this is intense I mean, Benoit wrestled a very intense, hard hitting style anyway. And Savage was always renowned as being quite an intense guy. Uh, we get the collar and elbow tie up and they basically roll around each other all the way around the ropes grappling for position, but it doesn't look like they're just kind of, I suppose going through the motions or, or, you know, fulfilling a certain part of a script that they've worked out between them. It genuinely looks like that they're grabbing at each other's faces and hair and grappling with each other to get, get the advantage. It was one of the most believable things I've seen in quite a while. Yeah. And it was a very brawly start. That's what I've wrote down. If that's the word, mm. but yeah, this, as you put it perfectly intense, because these are two of the most intense wrestlers ever. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we, we get some, I suppose, classic Benoit moves that he was renowned for. I suppose the, the, the Dynamite Kid was renowned for because Benoit styled a lot of what he did on, on what the Dynamite Kid did. And we get the, the diving headbutt off the top rope. And I, that always looks spectacular to me. But this one, he covers three quarters of the ring. When he's climbing to the top rope, I'm thinking, does he know how far Savage is? I always wondered about that as well because um, as he got heavier, he couldn't do that. Well, more muscular, he couldn't do that um, quite as far in the uh, mid two thousands as he could here when he was a lot lighter. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that well makes sense. Yeah, we get the the sort of side suplex that Benoit does, where his, his opponent goes up very high and then rather than coming down loosely, he comes down with a real snap to it. Uh, and speaking of snap, there's, there's a snap suplex as well, a vertical snap suplex, which you know again is very much a dynamite kid move that Benoit pays tribute to very, very well. We then get the dive you mentioned where Benoit dives, the suicide dive between the top rope and the middle rope and Savage moves and, and and I was going to call him dynamite kid then. Sorry, Chris Benoit just flies like a, like a missile into the crowd barrier head first face first, but it's not just the barrier itself. If you imagine the old style metal barriers, that they had at WWE events, WCW events, you've got the feet that come out in the opposite direction to the way the barrier is blocking people off. And Benoit's face just hit that foot. And it was a case of literally watching it. Um, well, my note here on that moment is exactly what I said at the time when I saw it. He dived out, he hit it, and I went, oh, shit. Because it was, it was not pretty, was it? No, it was not. And um, the fact that he continued uh, after this match just showed you how intense he was and how much of a perfectionist he was. My second oh shit moment was not long after that, though, when we had Randy Savage hitting his incredible top rope elbow drop. Benoit's led on his front because his face is obviously a bit tender, shall we say. And he, he's holding his mush and Savage comes off the top rope and hits. And, and the camera angle, we, we criticise WCW quite often for, for their their production, their camera angles, and how, how they miss things at times. The camera angle here, credit where it's due, is fantastic 
because we're virtually in the ring where they've zoomed in to a certain degree. And we see Savage's top rope elbow just land on Benoit's neck. And it was just like, oh my goodness, that is, I mean, knowing what we do now about Benoit, it's a little bit cringe, it's a little bit uncomfortable. But in the context of this match in 96, it looked amazing. It really did. And um, that, yeah, you could you could even hear it, couldn't you? There, mm. There's always, I remember reading years ago about how much a man, as he got older, wouldn't, uh, would, when he landed the elbow, he would just put his full weight on there, on uh, the opponent. And he even, um, I think he, uh, was it, uh, did something to uh, Charles Robinson's lung, a puncture the lung when he did it once to Ooh. Charles Robinson. Um, and this, he did look like he put all his weight on Chris Benoit's neck. Mm. Yeah, it didn't look comfortable at all. But I suppose this isn't ballet, as we get told by Gorilla Monsoon and, 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 and others throughout the years. So this is the moment, however, where we don't get the clean finish that maybe this match deserves. That's the one hindrance I have with this contest, I think. But yeah. it's the go-home Nitro before a pay-per-view. So I suppose you kind of expect it because this match isn't there. This match isn't there for Benoit to win the world title. This match isn't there for Savage to go over Benoit. This match is there to further on stories with big named characters six days before the pay-per-view. So Flair arriving makes sense. But then we get a bit of a swerve, a bit of a turn, don't we? Because woman attacks Randy Savage. That came out of left field for me. It was like that. And she just just turns heel on him just uh, on Macho Man just like that. Yeah, yeah. Hogan comes down and makes the save as, you know, Savage is getting his ass handed to him. And then Mean Gene decides, I'm going to have a chat with everybody. Right in the middle of all this chaos, Gene's just like, it just, just completely oblivious with his microphone. Just like, I'm going to pop in there and go say hi to these fellows. You know? <laughs> he did. Uh, that, it brings up an interesting question, though, sir. Um, based on your, what you spoke about last week, was do you think w- Woman was a good baby face or a better heel? I I don't really ever remember her being a babyface. So this little run she had here, I was almost kind of waiting for the turn. She initially yeah. came into the wrestling world, or maybe this wasn't how she got into it, but one of her very early roles was working with Kevin Sullivan in, in you know, I suppose, what would have been the Dungeon of Doom back in the day, but it's very much a satanic kind of cult effort. And she was like this, this second to Sullivan. And people were genuinely terrified of this group of people. It was like a real sort of devil worshiping witchcraft kind of aspect to it. And she was fantastic in that role. She also, we're going to see now, I guess, this is like the very beginning of it, worked alongside Flair for a while uh, as his valet, as his manager, whatever. And she's good in that role. I never really picture her as a babyface ever. So. I can't really judge at all. To me, woman, Nancy Benoit, Nancy Sullivan, whatever, she's she's always been a heel to me. And I think she's very, very good at it. She's got a face that, I mean, she's a very pretty lady, don't get me wrong. But when she wants to, she can curl up her face and just look pretty evil. And I think that's a real good trait to have. Yeah, there's a lot of um, wrestlers that have that, say, say like William Regal, or I was saying this during uh, when we was, um just uh logan paul he has that kind of face as well that's why i can't take him as a baby face logan paul's got a face i want to punch exactly that's a a story for another day Uh, (laughs) yeah gene comes in for his interview and as he's talking to hogan 
Ric Flair is proper old school Scooby-Doo bad guy villain here, tiptoeing up behind Ric Flair. <laughs> Sorry, tiptoeing up behind Hulk Hogan, you know, and it, it starts attacking Hogan. The giant comes out and starts attacking everybody. The Zodiac stops the giant, which is an interesting little twist. I don't quite know where that's going yet, but we'll see in the future weeks, I suppose, or I hope at least. Savage comes down and makes the save because Hogan is, is you know, outnumbered. So in the space of the first 10 minutes or so of this match, we've got, sorry, 10 minutes or so of this show, we've got Hogan making the save for Savage, Savage going back backstage, and then Savage returning to make the save for Hogan, which is uh, uh, quite a bit going on, I guess. But the big question is, why didn't Elizabeth or Mean Gene warn Hogan that Flair was behind him? Yeah, actually, now you say that, the penny's dropped. It was like, yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. I, I mean, Savage even asks Liz at one stage, why didn't you warn them? And Mean Jean is there saying, she did, I promise you, she did. And I'm thinking, no, she didn't, Jean. You blagger. Jean, you rascal. <laughs> <laughs> you rascal. <laughs> oh, man. This leads us, though, to another, I suppose... One, another one of the sort of more interesting aspects of WCW at the moment, because we have a tag match coming up with two members of the Four Horsemen, Arn Anderson, the always incredible Arn Anderson, and the crazy Brian Pillman, and they're facing the duo from the Dungeon of Doom. Shudder goes down my spine there. The Taskmaster and Hugh Morris. Now, to me, this match is not about the wrestling. This match is not about what happens in the ring at all. This match is all about storyline and where we're going next, because I'm absolutely fascinated with the whole Pillman four horsemen dynamic, Danny. Yeah. Same here. It's like, where are we going? Um, this was about characters as well. And to be honest, um, this whole night, I mean, we won't get into it now, but this whole night was about building future talent to me. And Hugh Morris, uh, shined a lot during this as well. I don't, I didn't get the kind of just staring ahead, zoning out kind of aspect. Um, but I mean, I don't know. I, I don't expect to get everything. There's a lot of wrestling that's not aimed at me. You know, I'm not the catchment, the sort of catchment area of, of certain fans, I guess. I'm not what they're always aiming at. But Hugh Morris, I didn't quite get, especially when you get chopped and so on. I get the no selling of the chops sometimes. Because that's what some wrestlers do. And some wrestlers do it really well. Some wrestlers not so much. Hugh Morris here, he doesn't eyeball his opponent. He doesn't... It's not like he's kind of staring his opponent down or, or uh, I suppose, building up momentum to fight back or anything. It's almost like he just drifts off and daydreams a little bit. Like he's still a sign in the crowd or something and he just goes really distant. That aspect I didn't quite get. I don't quite know what they're trying to achieve with that, Danny. Yeah, I can see your point with that, but I did write down here, just be thankful that it wasn't the Zodiac teaming with Sullivan. <laughs> well, I suppose when I said that I'm not interested in what happens in the ring, that would have made me, you know, less interested than not interested, put it that way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but no, you do make a good point with that as well. It was like, but I just looked at this as like, they're just pushing new faces this whole night and um, Hugh Morris is one of them, good or bad. Um He's there, and he's in a big featured match. Yeah, I suppose giving it a try is all you can ask for, I guess. Yeah, 
Okay. I mean, Pillman is being Pillman again here. He's the loose cannon. He's crazy. He's he, Arn's rolling his eyes, kind of thinking what the hell is with this dude. Uh, Arn Anderson is the absolute man again, though, isn't he? The punches he throws, the, the, the spine buster, everything about Arn just looks legit. As always, the, the four horsemen eventually take control a little bit and start working over Humorous for a while. Pillman and Sullivan then just start scrapping when it, they get tagged in and it goes a bit chaotic at this stage and everyone's the referee's I lost control. That. Sorry? No, I was going to say, I love that scrapping between Pillman and um, Sullivan. Absolutely loved it. Yeah, because again, it looked, it looked legit. It looked same as we spoke about Benoit and Savage rolling through the ropes and so on. It looked real. And that's what I want from my wrestling. Yes, 100%. And then we get um, the announcement that there'll be a respect match on um, at Super Bowl between Brian Pillman and Kevin Sullivan as well, which was just strategically put in uh, this match. But yeah, are, are you look at, do you know what a respect match is, sir? I do. I was about to ask you the same question because when they said respect match, I wasn't quite sure what they meant, but they did explain it a little bit. So it's basically a strap match with an added stipulation, isn't it, Danny? And um, yeah, it's kind of like an I quit match, isn't it? Where someone has to say a certain phrase afterwards like, uh, um, to finish the match. Yeah, they basically have to declare that they respect the other person to, to end the contest. So yeah, I mean, I kind of remember where this is going. So it's going to be very, very interesting on the pay-per-view. I'll tell you that. Oh, but there we can't go. Wait. There <laughs> can't we go. wait. <laughs> Uh, as everyone is fighting and we get another one of these sort of, I suppose, standard at the moment, WCW chaotic brawls, Sullivan and R. Anderson kind of pair off for a moment and fight relatively quickly up the walkway, end up going past where you would normally enter and leave the arena. And they're fighting up against the, the big curtains that act as effectively the backdrop for where the, the, you know, the backstage area is. And a broom comes out of nowhere and sort of dangles around for a little bit. Can't quite hit the person that he's after. So he has to lean forward a bit more. And you see a, a, a glorious example of some mid-90s knitwear that this person, whoever it may well be, is wearing. And they break the broom over somebody's head. And the big question then is, who is the secret broom wielder i suppose <laughs> so so last week we had a shoe being used as a foreign object and now we have a broom i'm loving this i have to be honest um, <laughs> this is brilliant i mean in wwe you just get the standard chair or table or ladder or something like that i'm loving that they're using outside of the box weapons that you just wouldn't see yeah inventive i guess my inventive yeah um Pillman and Sullivan are still, they, they start fighting again. Pillman ends up getting whipped for a bit. And that's when we get the, the, the sort of announcement of the respect match coming up at the weekend on the pay-per-view, which of course will be our next episode of Nitro Nights here as well. So to me, that match has served a great purpose. We've got a match at the pay-per-view now that's intriguing between Pillman and the Taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan. We've got the whole, who was the, the secret broom swinger? aspect who who wielded the broom as a weapon we never got to see their face chaotic mad crazy but it worked i think 
Yeah, and the most important thing is they followed up from last week, which is rare for a wrestling show. Is like they actually promoted a tag team match last week and followed through with it. And as you said, yep, chaotic, wild, crazy, excellent all round. I enjoyed this. Mm, yeah, yes, uh, something I enjoyed massively was our next match. And it takes a lot for me to say this because I'm not a massive Buff Bagwell fan. However, we have Ric Flair randomly facing Marcus Bagwell here. And it is quite random. I don't understand you know, why this is this match is happening, but it's quite, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's obviously they're just trying to get Flair on the show. Bagwell's available. Uh, before the match goes too far into the contest, however, we get Paul Orndorff walking out in the, mid, in the middle of Flair's entrance in a neck brace, going up to the commentary desk, and basically telling everyone that the big mystery that WCW had created no more than two minutes ago was him. So that's that. So whilst we're praising it a moment ago, thinking, oh, this is going to be quite interesting. Who was the guy with the broom? Orndorff's just like, oh, yeah, that's me. You can tell because I'm wearing <laughs> I'm wearing the same hideous mid-90s jumper that the, the arm wielding the broom was. So that's kind of that, Danny, wasn't it? Uh, wow, you talk about a fart in church. I mean, that, yeah, that just went all out of the window. I mean, I was actually looking forward to um, maybe they'll run a, a new storyline with who's attacking these guys. But yeah, it was, oh, it just, but it made perfect sense as well. Um, although, why wouldn't he just come out from the curtain and attack? I don't know. It's it's weird. Yeah. So it's when, you weird. Start, when you start picking it apart, there's a lot of holes in this. Yes. <laughs> Uh, this here, I mean, we, we we sang Ric Flair's praises last week on Nitro Nights with regards to how hard he worked to make Hogan look good. Here, it's a different kettle of fish because you've got Marcus Bagwell, who's not on Hogan's level. Hogan only has to do one or two things and certain crowds in certain areas will go mental for him. Bagwell's not got that. He, he he's He's got a great look. He's popular with certain aspects of the crowd, but not as popular as you know he could potentially be. He's not a great worker in any stretch of the imagination. So Flair here, effectively doing the same job and making Bagwell look bloody brilliant, is to me an even bigger testament to how talented Ric Flair is or was. Yeah, I mean, this. Uh, I said earlier, this was a whole... A night of established stars trying to make um, future stars, and this was another good example. Flair, um, a lot of people say that he passed his prime in 1993. I strongly disagree. Looking at these uh, shows, when when do you think Flair passed his prime, sir? Oh, Struf. Um If you could boil down to a year, I mean, I know it's hard, but like, um, I think Dave Meltzer or somebody in some uh, publication said it was 1993 after he uh, had that match with Vader. Okay, yeah, I I can understand where you're coming from with that. I think this that we're seeing here, the matches we've had with Savage, Hogan, uh, and a few of the others, I think probably says that. 93 might be a touch early because he's having maybe he's having like a, a renaissance and it's some form of Indian summer in this era. But you know, we're going to go on and on. We, we've got years and years of, of Nitro and Thunder and pay per views to watch, so I suppose we'll be able to pass a more, a more accurate judgment at a later date, I guess. But I mean, you said about 93, <sighs> 94, if you say 93 was the end of him. 
all, all like that was his prime and he passed it after that. In '94, you had the first Hogan match, and whereas it's not by any stretch a clinic, Flair's performance is quite good. It's difficult to say. It's very difficult. I mean, there are people it's saying that you know, there are people saying that Flair was past his prime in 1991. Mind you know that, that, that this this isn't a new phenomenon. I don't understand why people are so keen to write people off. I mean, again with Flair as well, slightly different kettle of fish, slightly slightly different setup. But you think back to his run in WWE when he had the match with Michaels at WrestleMania that ended it. Now Michaels, yes, Michaels was the main part of that match being very good. But Flair was a huge part of telling that story. You also had, around that time, Flair having a match with Vince McMahon that was, I believe, no DQ or street fight or something like that. Yeah, in the December before. Yeah, now that had no right to be as good as it was, which, again, shows how great... Um, to me, that match, as opposed to the Michaels one, when Michaels was effectively the star of the show there, here, Flair was the star of the show because he's... McMahon, as great a villain as he was in these sort of matches, Flair to me was the guy that kind of guided the match and got it to where it needed to be. So that's an argument there that even as late as that, Flair was still turning in brilliant performances. So it's really difficult to say. But I think the the, the way that this show operates, where we look at things in time order, week by week, episode by episode, we can really sort of judge where people are going off the boil and where we're seeing people build up. I think it's going to be really interesting going forward, Danny. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, but Yeah, I'm me, I'm me. Uh, as I said, this is just classic flair. He's bumping all over the place. He's he's working at quite a pace as well. And and Bagwell is obviously a much younger man who's working at a, a certain pace. But Flair doesn't look Flair doesn't look like he cannot keep up at all. Uh, he takes several big bumps from from up high off the top rope. One being a superplex, and one being the typical flair getting caught on the top rope spot. Eventually, though, Bagwell tries a kind of slingshot splash type effort over the top rope to which flair gets his knees up for slaps the figure four on wins the match now we're singing rick flair's praises here but it does uh, the saying of course is it takes two to tango flair i think has made bagwell look incredible here however whether it is flair or whether bagwell just needed the right dance partner whatever this to me is the best marcus alexander bagwell has looked since we started our podcast Absolutely. Um, I think he's definitely the Shawn Michaels out of the um, American males. <laughs> no, no discredit to um, Scotty Riggs, but um, yeah, th- this was brilliant. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Flair won't let go of the figure four, so Randy Savage runs out, and there's a bit of a, a bit of a scrap there, and so on, which again advances further storylines going into Super Brawl, which is good. That's that's interesting there. Uh, and then we get our main event of the evening, Danny. Now, yeah, with the, the uh, tag team titles on the line. Yes, and I on this again, the Sting Luger thing. I keep bringing it up. It seems like every week I bring it up. This to me is just fantastic storytelling. I don't know which way it's going to go. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. Is Luger finally going to turn? Is Sting going to get sick of Luger's Luger's antics? but yet they're still wrestling together as a team and so on. It's so interesting for me. We get Legion of Doom challenging, or the Road Warriors, apologies, challenging Sting and Luger for the WCW World Tag Team titles. So apparently in WCW, all you need to do is turn up, win one match, and then you get a title match. So everyone bear that in mind in the future. (laughs) Something that tickled me, however, during Sting and Luger's entrance, 
the camera goes past the fans and there's a little kid in a Hogan shirt, can be no older than eight years old, sticking his middle finger up at the camera. Oh, well, that was fantastic. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. <laughs> uh, what did you make of this then? Because this is, especially when you think about Jim Crockett promotions and the NWA and so on, and late 80s, WCW, early, eight, early 90s, WCW and so on. This is a real big name contest for those those areas you know that those sort of southern state territories and so on with regards to sting and luger and the road warriors these were these these guys helped build the original you know the first god knows how many starcades for example the, the, the original halloween havocs and so on what did you think of this now in 1996 um i was shocked when uh this match was announced because uh as you said like the world warriors just have to show up win a match and then but in it like it was shocking because um i thought with a pay-per-view this sunday from this uh, night show they would have just chucked us on a pay-per-view yeah um but then it goes back to that ratings grab that we was talking about maybe they threw that on but this was a bit early for me and but uh, as far as the match goes i enjoyed most aspects of this um yeah I, it, it was a very enjoyable to watch but to me it just felt a bit early especially with a pay-per-view looming in the distance yeah i get what you mean i get what you mean i mean i suppose a lot of that gets covered after the match though a lot of that like, it does get but when the match starts i completely agree with what you're saying you're thinking why isn't this on the pay-per-view I think there are reasons for it come the ma- come the conclusion of the contest and what Animal and Hawks say after the match. I mean, we'll get to it quickly now. We have a lot of power being shown again by the Road Warriors. Animal is is literally that. Here's here's what he's named. Here's an animal. Clotheslines and so on. Uh, Sting and Luger struggle early on in the match. The Road Warriors are taking control, but uh, that is until Luger with a quite a heelish tactic pulls the top rope down and low bridges animal as he's running the ropes sting doesn't look too pleased with this but at the same time he's in the middle of a match so he has to continue what he's doing sting and luger are then in control and then the power goes out now, this, i couldn't believe it. oh it, we get like a crackle or a fizz and i'm thinking this is too early for the nwo what's this and then it, it cuts back to the match and we get the wwe network i suppose banner across the bottom saying this is shown in the most complete format or most complete production that we have available to us or as close to the real day or however they word it. And I'm thinking, okay, there must have just been a little glitch in the tape or something like that. But Bischoff on commentary explains that the whole area had a power cut. They lost power to the arena and everything. So that's why Nitro that night apparently went long. They went an hour and 10 minutes with regards to TV time. Whereas the show itself on the network is only 50 odd minutes. They lost power for a little while mid-match. Wow. But, so, yeah, that, that kind of explains what we saw there. Uh, Jimmy Hart eventually makes himself known. As everyone's fully aware, this always makes me smile. Um, stop laughing, Danny. <laughs> uh, and he kind of, he's got a weapon with him that they describe as a lead pipe, but it doesn't quite look like a pipe to me. I've literally just got a note here saying it's a lead thing. <laughs> It's adding to that um, mystery box of uh, weapons, isn't it? Every week. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we'll call it Jimmy Hart's lead thing, shall we? And um, yes. it's, it's, it's like a, it's like some big slab of metal of some sort. And Luger uses this to hit Animal 
get the pinfall and win. Luger celebrates like, you know, he's just, well, I was going to say he's won the world title. He has won a world title, I suppose, or defended it at least. Sting is, again, incredibly unhappy with what's happened. The baby faces walk off. And that's when we get Animal and Hawk on the microphone, kind of, I suppose, justifying what has happened just beforehand, because they're talking about the WCW tag titles being defended on Super Brawl by Sting and Luger against Harlem Heat. So that would be, I'm assuming, why Legion of Doom Road Warriors didn't wrestle on the pay-per-view against Sting and Luger. But they're saying because of the, the nonsense finish, they want the winner of Harlem Heat versus Luger and Sting. And they're also there saying, we really hope it's Luger and Sting because we want a second chance at them. So that, again, to me, ties a neat little bow on everything that's just happened. And it does, again, advance the storylines forward for me, Danny. It does. Um, that's a great point as well. But it's like all the um, Road Warriors have to do again is just throw out another challenge and they've got two um, tag team titles uh, shots. But um, it does make more sense because they were screwed in this uh, in this um, main event. Yeah, it, it, you're right. It does make more sense this time around. But that's it then. That's the end of our, this episode of Nitro. We're now off to Super Brawl 6, our pay-per-view. Now, Danny, without looking at it, without doing any research, etc., etc., we do this before every pay-per-view because WCW have a nasty habit of not telling us the card beforehand. What do you know or what do you think is on the card for Super Brawl before we get there? All I know is there's going to be a respect match between Kevin Sullivan and Brian Pillman. And now we've just learned that there's going to be a tag team title match between Sting and Lex and Harlem Heat. And uh, apparently there's going to be a double cage match or two cage match. That is literally it, Si. Um, mm. How about yourself, mate? I heard a line of Bischoff. I don't know if it was on this Nitro or the Nitro before saying about the United States title. He said that, and the reason it stood out to me was because Bischoff got it wrong. The United States champion is currently one man gang. Yeah. Apparently, apparently Conan is going to defend the United States title against the one man gang. It should obviously be the other way around. The one man gang is going to defend against Conan. So that's a match I assume we're getting on the pay-per-view, by the way Bischoff was talking. But I wouldn't have noticed that to the level where it sticks in my head if if Bischoff had got it right. The two cage matches they're talking about, I think we're getting Flair versus Savage for the title in the cage, and then we're getting Hogan Giant in the cage. Is that just based off the assumption of the booking? or um... That's bits and bobs that's been said on commentary and so on. But again, this is the issue. There's three voices on commentary, and all of them are very big characters. Mongo McMichael, Eric Bischoff, and obviously Bobby Heenan. Now, they're all talking, and they're all trying to get their stuff in. They're all trying to get their points across. They're all very big, powerful, strong characters. This to me shows that how I'm I'm a big Bischoff fan. Mongo McMichael is what he is. He makes me laugh at times. He's entertaining. He's a good foil for Bobby Heenan to bounce off, I think. And Bobby Heenan is obviously fantastic. So we've got three guys there who I'm very much used to being our commentary team now. However, it does show that sometimes too much goes on because I've barely picked up what's happening on the card. You've barely picked up what's happening on the card. 
So if they're relying literally on just the commentary to put forward what's on the pay-per-view, that doesn't work, obviously. Because once again, Danny, me and you are sat here going, well, it's a three-hour show. It's a three-hour pay-per-view. We know for sure a couple of matches. We think we know one or two more. That's it, really. So I think WWE needs to learn to properly promote their pay-per-views, put graphics on screen, whatever, run through the card, however they want to do it, or literally stop what's going on, put the camera on Bischoff's face, and let him tell you directly. Because what they're currently doing to me doesn't work. I mean, throwing it in between uh, entrances and matches, yeah, that's that's um, interesting as well. It's like, you, it just doesn't, you don't have time to um, ingest it, do you? It's kind of like, mm. oh, like, oh yeah, we've got this match on a pay-per-view, but watch out, there's fireworks here for um, Hulk Hogan's entrance or something like that. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you move on to the next thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, the, the throwaway comment by Bischoff about the United States title match, which I'm assuming is happening at Super Bowl, I'm fairly certain that's what was said. Again, I've heard the comment and I'm still unsure, but you know what I mean? It, that was in the middle of a match and they spoke about it and then somebody else jumped in calling a move and they moved on to the next thing. Now, I, I don't know. I, I'm a grumpy old man. I, I can't process information as quickly as my kids. Maybe my kids could watch it with the way that TikTok operates now or whatever and pick up the information quicker. I don't know. I, I've got no example of that to sort of really utilize. But for me personally, the way they currently structure their putting matches together for their pay-per-view, it doesn't quite work because you don't know what you're getting. Yeah, and that's a great point as well because back here there was barely internet um mm -hmm. this was not shown five or six times a week like uh say modern day wrestling would be um so like you would watch this and then a match like that would be announced during the match and then you couldn't rewind this unless you taped it but you couldn't just think oh you could go to the website and see but you couldn't just like it, this would not be a big um news because it would be like oh it's just meant a throwaway comment in the match and then that mm. was it. Unless you watch this on the night, you wouldn't know that that was happening on the pay-per-view. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it gets promoted on Saturday night. I would assume they might run through some of it because it's the night before the pay-per-view. Uh, with regards to the internet and so on, we covered wrestling magazines themselves very recently on the show. They would put, you know, publications would put in the, the magazines. This is what's coming up on this event. But by the time it was written produced printed and on the shelf and then especially on the shelf in the uk and then it found its way to my hands it was already out of date so it's just that they need to do something different i think with regards to that aspect of their business absolutely something we don't want to do different though danny is how we rate these shows because i think it works bloody brilliantly so first of all uh good points and bad points pros and cons our woos and our oh brothers Brother, 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 brothers, brother, Woo! brother. First or second, my friend? I'll go first this week, sir. You crack on. So the bi the biggest, I'm going to go with Ruse this, uh, to start off, and it would have to be Ric Flair and Macho Man um, making two stars, even though we, t we talked about the Marcus Alexander Bagwell thing, but especially Macho Man, um, making Chris Benoit this night, uh, making him look as equal as a world champion was brilliant. Even though we did get that smudgy finish, um, I really enjoyed it. And I'm not, I'm surprised um, I didn't put the whole match on, but I think it was because of that 
factor of the finish that this wasn't my woo, but just them two making stars would be my woo. How about you, sir? Uh, yeah, I, mean, I can see totally where you're coming from. I, I wouldn't say the, the term making Benoit, I wouldn't say is 100% accurate. He's part of the four horsemen. He's been on t- TV a lot, but I know what you mean about about boosting him up to a much higher level. I think you're absolutely spot on there, but that's really good. And it kind of does play into my woo for this week because it, it, the end of that match obviously ended a bit of a mess and so on, but it was advancing stories. Now to me, this whole episode of nitro advanced stories, every aspect of it, as far as I can remember, advanced a storyline or advanced a character towards their storyline. The tag match at the end, we know what's going to happen now. After the title match at Super Bowl, we know that the Road Warriors are gunning for whoever wins. So that advances that storyline. Luger and Sting, with the whole Jimmy Hart involvement, has advanced that aspect of that storyline. Then obviously all the stuff with Flair, Hogan, Savage, um, Pillman, and all these other people. Every aspect of this episode of Nitro advanced the storylines. It made sense, and it's another step in the journey that we're taking with what they're trying to tell us on screen. So my woo this week is literally that, the way the writing was done to advance the stories. Brilliant, mate. What about your old brother, pal? It would have to be um, the Road Warriors getting a World, uh, world Tag Team title shot this early. And um, even though we have, we, we nicked it earlier, I mean, they're going to be facing next week. But yeah, it would have to be that this week. Fair enough, mate. Fair enough. Uh, mine is literally the Paul Orndorff thing. The whole hit, somebody gets hit with a broom and they've made a real effort to disguise who that person is, obviously, because they've, they've, they've fought up to where this curtain is. And the person using the broom is very careful to not display their face and so on. I mean, my first thought was, oh, is this Miss Elizabeth now turning? You know, but obviously it wasn't because it was a you know a bit of knitwear and stuff. And Elizabeth wouldn't be seen dead in that jumper. But um, <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, we're going to get a little bit of a who done it here, and I like those kind of storylines. And then literally the very next scene, Paul Orndorff there a net brace on, going, oh yeah, by the way, I did that. All words to that effect. And it's like, oh great, so that's that wrecked already. That was my that was my old brother. That that didn't quite work for me. I can see that as well. <laughs> <laughs> Hit miss on middling bad. I'm going middle this week. Um, there was uh, two cracking matches. Um, I think with uh, Marcus Alexander Bagwell and Ric Flair, I was happy that they actually had a clean finish and that the Macho Man came out after um, and rather than before the match ended, like Flair did to him. So that was a perfect babyface move by the Macho Man. So, um, yeah, middle this week. How about you, mate? I'm I'm actually going slightly above my friend. This is a hit for me. I enjoyed this from start to finish. The Benoit match with Randy Savage was superb. I think that's enough to carry it up there virtually on its own. Not quite, but virtually. I I just got a kick out of every segment. The flare match I enjoyed. Yeah, everything made sense on the apart from the Ornborf stuff, let's not forget that. But everything kind of made sense on this show with regards to the storylines they're currently putting forward and where we're heading and it makes me if if i was you know if i was a kid in 1996 which i was but if i was a kid in 1996 i would be saying to my mum can i have money to buy this pay-per-view please on the base of this nitro so yeah to me it's the writers have done their job so it's a hit for me brilliant man 
Okay. So there we go. Next week, Super Brawl 6. If people are watching along with us here on Nitro Nights, check out that pay-per-view. Let us know your thoughts if you uh, do decide to watch along and so on. I know some people are watching. I know some people are already well in advance of where we are, which is great to see. The fact that people are watching old WCW events with some awful stuff like the Zodiac on just to be involved with our podcast really is. It blows my mind. I can't believe it. We we hugely, hugely appreciate all the support we get from every single one of you. Same here. It's brilliant. So then, Danny, whereabouts can people find you online, yourself, your Twitter account, and uh, all the great content you're involved in? Yep, you can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggalo. You can hear me on One Man's Meat Podcast with the great Chris Bellis. You can hear me here next week with the great Cy Power. We'll be talking about Super Bowl. And you can now hear me on a new show um, brought to you by SJP. And that will be back when with the great Tyler Peters. This will be very heavily nostalgia-based, and I'm looking forward to it, Cy. We're going to be doing our first show. You are indeed. You are indeed. I'm a big fan of anything Tyler is involved in. He's a top bloke. Uh, been a guest on the old SJP wrestling podcast a couple of times. Really knows his stuff. Um, to my untrained English ear, because people from America, they either have, to me, a New York accent or a Southern accent. There's no other dialect to me because my ear is incredibly untrained. Uh, he sounds like Jim Cornette. <laughs> but, you know, he takes that as a compliment because he, he's a big fan of the old territory wrestling and old classic movies and you and he Danny I believe have a huge amount in common and I'm really really looking forward to this show debuting on SJP World Media it's going to be so so interesting looking at the stuff you look at with regards to the old movies the old TV shows films uh, wrestling and I, I'm, I think it's going to be absolutely fascinating really really looking forward to it mate thank you me too it um, should be a lot of fun yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Speaking of SJP World Media, you can find that on Twitter, typing in exactly that at SJP World Media. That's where you'll find this show, uh, the channel or stream or however you word it with the whole back catalogue of this show on as well. If you want to go back and listen to any older Nitro Nights or start at the beginning and follow along with us and all other content that is involved on the network, you can find by searching SJP World Media on Twitter, Facebook and your podcast providers. Every show has its own channel, but if you want to just jump on the main feed and give everything a bit of a try, all new episodes come out on there, date order as well. So that's at SJP World Media. You can find me at SJP Words, but most importantly, you can find this show on Facebook and Twitter at Nitro underscore Nights. That's at Nitro underscore Nights. Danny, next week, my friend, it's pay-per-view time. Bloody love pay-per-view time. Super Bowl, here we come. That's it, mate. It's exciting. I will speak to you next week, bird. Take care, mate. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>